Thanks for having me again. So uh, we're continuing your series on this blessed life. And so I'm going to tell you a bit about uh, what I think about blessing from Psalm 40 today. So I caught up with a friend last Sunday. Uh, She was telling me about a long-term friend of hers. And in this conversation, I learned that this guy was intelligent, good-looking, charismatic, good at most things. Uh, He uh, is good at making friends with people and making people laugh. He has a wealthy family and his parents dote on him, so they give him cars and, like, you know, help him out financially. But on top of this, he's also someone who loves the Lord and he has this knack, my friend was telling me, of, uh, like, speaking about his faith with people in such a way that often people will come to know Christ as a result. So this is uh, a pretty uh, great life by the sounds of it, isn't it? A pretty blessed life. Someone who is intelligent, attractive, charismatic, um, has the love of others, Uh, you know, has faith. These are many of those measures of blessing in our heads, I think, things that we work towards. And if you're fortunate enough to tick one of these boxes, you're doing pretty well. But to be able to, like, say that all of those things are things that you have or can do, that's pretty cool. Um, And I guess uh, these are things that we think of as being a blessed life. But sadly, the reason my friend was telling me about this friend of hers was because he'd actually just overdosed and died. So at the age of 28, uh, his long-term addiction with drugs had actually resulted in his death. So despite his intelligence and his wealth and his attractiveness and his charisma, he died young. So would you still say that his life was a blessed one? Many of us believe that those things, prosperity, wealth, intelligence, are the things that make for a blessed life. But can you also say that someone who has struggled with addiction, who has been in and out of jail, uh, who has had a really destructive impact on the lives of those around them and has died young, is, is blessed or has had a blessed life? Can you live a blessed life while experiencing ongoing suffering and struggle? God's answer to this question is yes. Yes, a life of struggling and suffering can be a blessed life. But if this is the case, then perhaps we need to tweak our understanding of what it means to be blessed. So this is what we're going to consider today. Psalm 40, as we've just heard, is written in the voice of a person who is struggling, who was struggling and is struggling still. In verses 1 and 2, they say, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. And then the psalm closes with these words, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. These are clearly not words of joy. There is real struggle in this voice. But in verse 4, the psalmist says, Blessed is the one who makes the Lord their trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. So despite his struggles, the psalmist is able to say blessed is the one who looks to God, who puts their trust in him, rather than looking to or trusting in the proud. But doesn't this raise more questions for you? It certainly does for me. What is it that we are trusting God to do? Why should we trust God? What, in a practical, lived-out sense, does it look like to trust God? And how exactly does a life of trusting God equal a life of blessing? So we're going to work through these questions. What can we trust God to do? Why should we trust God? And what does it look like to trust God? And we'll see what answers Psalm 40 offers us about how trusting God equals blessing.
So that first question is, what can we trust God to do? The problem that the psalmist has in Psalm 40 is outlined in verse 12. He says, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails within me. And then in verse 13, he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. So if we're willing to learn from the Psalms, then it seems that we can trust God to help us in our times of troubles, no matter how overwhelming they are. Now, I'm not a strong swimmer, but I don't like being left out and I don't like looking weak. And so there have been multiple occasions when I've been at the beach with friends and have found myself deeper in the waves than I really feel comfortable to go. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. It's quite scary, actually, when your feet can't touch the bottom and the waves are constant and strong and they push you around and it doesn't take much to get separated from your friends and all of a sudden you are alone in the waves. You're struggling to work out where your friends are and where the shore is and struggling to keep your head above water as these relentless waves roll over you. And that is all you can see, wave after tiring wave. And you begin to wonder whether you can actually get yourself back to shore safely or whether you have the humility to raise your hand in the air and to cry out for the lifeguards to help you. In Psalm 40, the psalmist describes his troubles like waves of the ocean which are overtaking him and blocking his sight. He is drowning in his troubles and his heart fails within him. But what are his troubles? In this instance, they are his own sins. This is not persecution from the outside world. This is self-inflicted struggle and suffering. And in fact, the psalmist says that the sins are more than the hairs of his head. So assuming that he wasn't bald, then he's saying, this is a lot of sin. Like, if you were to count your hairs, that's a lot of hairs. This is a lot of sin, a lot of trouble from a lot of sin. So, of course, if you're without sin, then you may as well stop listening because I have nothing to say to you. But if you're a sinner like me, then you know that sins wreak havoc in your life. We speak harshly to someone and we feel guilt and so we start avoiding them. We lie about our income on our tax return and worry that the ATO might catch us up. We might cheat on a partner or be addicted to porn and we have this constant worry that we're going to get found out, that our family or friends will discover our depravity and leave us. We refuse to forgive someone and bitterness and resentment grows within us. And so we struggle and we suffer. I mean, honestly, who needs enemies when you have your own sins? And because we know that our sin is wrong, we feel ashamed of it and so we hide it. We seal our lips and refuse to speak about our sins or the troubles that they are causing us. But the psalmist shows us that when we are in need of saving from our sin, we should do what he does. We should stick our hand in the air so that the lifeguard can come and save us. We should cry out to God. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord their trust. In other words, blessed is the one who trusts God to rescue them from drowning in the troubles of their sins. Because the alternative that we're given in verse 4 is to look to the proud. And the proud are those, we are told, who have forsaken God, who have turned aside from God. So the thing is, whether we are looking to other proud people or to our own pride to save us, either way we're making a dumb move. 
If you are struggling not to drown in the ocean waves, pride will kill you. If you trust in your pride, then either you'll stay quiet because you don't want to admit your weakness and you don't want to show that you need rescuing. And so instead of calling out for rescue from those who are able and willing to save you, you keep struggling in your own failing strength. Or you might turn to somebody nearby you to see if they can help rescue you. But the thing is, chances are that they are also struggling just as much in that deep water. And if they're also proud, then they won't call out for help either. And they might even agree to try and help you, but you'll just end up struggling together. And that situation does not end well. Pride is dumb. But Psalm 40 also teaches us that pride is dumb in the no hearing, so no speaking sense. So our ability to speak comes from our ability to hear first. When we're kids, babies, we hear sounds and we start to make sounds and we practice them until they sound right. And in the same way, our ability to speak about our sins comes from first having heard what sin is through hearing God's law. So verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. So most of us probably know that ritual offering was required in the Old Testament law. But the psalmist is saying that God is more concerned about the purpose of the law. And so God has opened the psalmist's ears to hear or to understand what God's law is. And God's law exists to reveal the state of our life. So to try and explain what I mean, I want you to consider Newton's law of gravity but it's all right if you don't actually know what his law of gravity is. I don't. Uh, But to think about Newton's law of gravity. So he formulated this law of gravity, but he didn't create gravity itself. So you don't actually need to know Newton's law of gravity in order to experience gravity. If you jump from a height, you will fall down, not up. But Newton's law describes what is happening when you jump and fall down, not up. And in the same way, God's law reveals something that already exists. So it reveals God as the holy creator of all things. And it reveals God's order for life. And it also reveals our troubles for what they really are. They are our sins, which are overtaking us and drowning us. Because our sins are our rebellions against God's law, against his order and against his holy character. So this rebellion is a turning away from God. And turning away from God leads to separation from God. And separation from God leads to death. And so we need rescuing. And we need to hear God's law so that we understand who God is and who we are. God is the holy lawgiver and we are sinners or lawbreakers. God is life and we are dying. God is strong and we are weak. And just as we need someone who is stronger than the waves to rescue us from the waves when we're drowning in the ocean, we also need someone stronger than sin to rescue us from our sins. And so this gives us the the answer to our second question, why should we trust God? Because God is stronger than sin. But what proof do we have of this? Well, for the psalmist, he knows God is powerful to save him because God has done it before. That's what he's telling us in those first three verses. I waited patiently for the Lord, past tense. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. 
He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. So God has saved the psalmist before, and so the psalmist trusts that God can and will do it again. And we also have these grounds to trust God if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord, because we also have been rescued from our sins before, and so we can trust God to do so again. Now, I think it's important to make clear that I'm not saying that when we accepted Christ as Lord, we weren't saved once for all. But the truth is that we are being transformed and perfected, but we're not yet perfect, and so we will still struggle with sin, and these sins we need saving from. The psalmist also gives us other reasons to trust God. In verse 5 he says, Many, O Lord, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. And we have had an opportunity to try and think about some of those wonders in our life this week. But it's a good question. How about you? If you were to declare the wonders of God in your life, how long would it take? I think it does take us a while to warm up to this. It's not something that we practice doing often. But there are heaps of things that God has done in our life that are wonderful. So some of the wonders in my life are that God raised me in a family with parents who loved me and who taught me about God. Uh, He protected me when I smashed my face on the bottom of a pool so that I didn't break anything. I just got left with a scar. But even more wonderful than these things is the fact that God has not abandoned me in my sin. So I have often pretended that I don't know God. I once wished a crush of mine dead. I struggle with lust and anger. And these sins bring troubles and they separate me from God, who is my life. But the wonder is that God has not abandoned me in my sin. He has seen me and he has forgiven me and removed my guilt. These are some of the wonders that God has done in my life. And they give me reason to trust God to help me. What are some of the wonders that God has done in your life? We are encouraged in Psalm 40 to speak of these wonders. The psalmist says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and truth from the great assembly. It is our tendency because of our pride to hide our sins rather than speaking of them. But when we hide our sins, we are also failing to speak of God's righteousness towards us. We seal our lips rather than sharing his faithfulness and his love to us despite our sins, his salvation of us from our sins, and his truth about us. And this wonderful truth is that our sins don't stop God from loving us or from rescuing us. It is pride which stops God from loving us and rescuing us. Because pride makes us dumb and prevents us from calling out to the one who can save us. And so we come to our third question. What does it look like in a practical, lived-out sense to trust God? Psalm 40 actually has heaps of tips in there, and some of them we've kind of just heard. But here are five of them. So one, trusting God day to day means being open about our troubles. We are not meant to wait patiently in silence until we are rescued. We've seen that in that psalm, that the psalmist cries out to God and pleads with God to save him quickly. 
He's not resigned to his troubled state, but he petitions God again and again to rescue him. And this can look messy because our sins and their troubles are messy. But we need to speak about these so that God can rescue us and so that others can see the wonders that God is doing in our lives. Two, trusting God day to day means humbling ourselves before God again and again. In humility, we show our dependence on God. The psalmist says, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Humility means acknowledging our own weakness and acknowledging God's power. And this is unnatural for our sinful selves, and it's a hard habit to break, but it's one that we need to be working to break every day. Three, the outworking of this humility and dependence is trusting God to deal with those who desire your ruin or who seek to take your life, which is a bit dramatic, but just saying those who persecute you. If you trust that God is righteous and sovereign or Lord over all things, then this God who knows our sin and who has rescued us from it is also able to deal with the sin of others and we should trust him to do so. Four, trusting God means being loyal to God. Blessing, we are told, is not uh, for the proud but for the one who trusts God. But I think loyalty can be difficult when we can't see God. And so this is why we need to continue to meet with people who will encourage us. We need to fix our eyes on God. We need to hear about the wonders that God is doing across history, as we see it in the Bible, and in the lives of those around us. And we need to remind ourselves of the wonders that God has done and is doing in our own lives. And this leads to the fifth tip for trusting God, which means uh, being glad and praising God with songs of joy, as the psalmist says. So speaking and singing praises of the wonders that God has done in our lives helps us to remember God's trustworthiness and power. So there are some tips, but what exactly is the blessing of trusting in God? This kind of sounds like things we need to do, hard work, but where's the blessing in that? Or how is it that someone who has struggled with addiction has been in and out of jail, has had a destructive impact on people around him and has died young, can be said to have had a blessed life. Because if you consider blessing to mean health, happiness and a long life, then that friend of a friend certainly didn't seem to have a blessed life. And if you consider it to be those things, then struggle and suffering don't feel blessed. But if blessing means trusting in God, then we can say that that friend of a friend was blessed because his trust was in Christ. Despite his struggles, which were real and overwhelming, his joy was in the Lord. He proclaimed the wonders of God's faithfulness when he spoke to people around him. And he knew that God was the only one who could save him from his overwhelming sin and the troubles that they caused. And so he had humbled himself and cried out to God to rescue him from his sins. So to my friend, he'd once said, I don't know how people can live without Jesus because his struggles were great. There's no denying it. And he knew that he couldn't survive them on his own. And so his trust was in the Lord. And this means that he was blessed. Hopefully you can see how encouraging this truth is. 
Because it might be struggle in your life or it might be struggle in the life of someone that you know. Despite their struggle, if their trust is in God, then they are blessed. Because while our sins are not good and they do have destructive power in our lives and in the lives of people around us, our sins are known by God, but he loves us and is willing to save us anyway. And so our guilt for those sins is removed. We do not have to hide them, but we can rejoice that we have been saved from them. We are blessed when we trust God because we are given hope that despite these struggles and sufferings, God is in charge and can rescue us, even from the most overwhelming of ways. But I know that you're probably thinking, Flick, that guy you're talking about died, that hardly seems to be blessed. But we are blessed when we trust God, even in death. Because unlike the proud, God offers new life to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And it is eternal life. And Christ died for our sins so that we would be rescued for eternity. Because there is more than this earthly realm and we have to keep our hope in that place. So all we have to do, really, is trust in God, get over our pride And as Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. What wonderful news this is. We who have accepted Christ can rejoice and be glad because we have been seen in our sins and we have been rescued from them. Sin might threaten us still, but it cannot drown us. Because if we have put our trust in the eternal lifeguard, in God, then he's got us in his care and we are safely on our way back to firm ground. This is good news. This is worth rejoicing about. Wouldn't you agree?